Hey, everybody, it's Raghu, and I'm back, uh, and I have a new guest for this week's podcast, and we are just, just meeting ourselves, Zenju Ertelin Manuel. Welcome to the podcast, Zenju. Thank you. Thank you, Raghu. And uh, Zenju has uh, put together a, a quite, I just was saying, unique uh, offering as a book, The Shamanic Bones of Zen. And uh, Zenju is a, a Zen priest, but much more. And you probably this will be like the first time you've ever heard of anyone who is intersecting things quite the way she is. I mean, it's just uh, quite wonderful. But will you tell us about? I always like to know how did you come up as a kid, and and then the the waking moments that went. Okay, wait a minute. This bullshit that I'm being fed is not what it is. <laughs> Um, so I was raised in Los Angeles and I'm the middle daughter of three, three girls. And my parents, uh, migrated from rural Louisiana, speaking Creole, no English. Really? Uh, to, yeah. To Los Angeles. Which is part so, French, right? Yeah. Creole? So English is kind of like our second language. You know, I'm <laughs> from Montreal, so okay. je, on peut pas français maintenant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not, sorry, everybody. <laughs> so anyway, um, that movement and migration for better life, uh, I think is the common thread among uh, many people who immigrate from their home, right? Home place to another place is how to survive. And I didn't notice my parents, you know, struggling, you know, struggling to survive and to be in a city like Los Angeles that, you know, ruled by Hollywood and <laughs> those kinds of things. And, um, you know, being a part of it, you know, feeling like they belong. There were many people who had moved from Texas and Louisiana. So um, as a child, uh, I had a childhood friend um, and... I lived around the corner, and at the age of six, well, six years old, she died. Oh, my. And I was stunned because I didn't know children died. Mm. I had never heard of it, never thought about it, um, and had never really talked about death. I thought about death until then. And I asked my mother about it, and, um, you know, I've told this story a few times. I was really upset with her for having given birth to me oh. because I don't want to die. <laughs> like, why did you do this to me? Oh, wow. Now I have to go through this, this and then die. Because <laughs> you just like laugh like you're laughing. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that became a real turning point for me um, in looking at the world and um, looking at my being in the world and how <clears throat> how I suffered and how I finding ways that I, you know, wouldn't suffer to ease that suffering just as they were doing, but for different reasons, you know, different avenues. And so I eventually by the age of eight, I was um, sent from a black school to in Los Angeles to a, a all Jewish school, oh, you know, really? white Jewish School uh, familiar to my mother because she was raised at the, from the age of ten with a white Russian Jewish family oh, in really? Louisiana. She was their worker, their maid, oh, and so my. she knew all about you know Jewish heritage. Wow. And so I guess she felt nothing was sending me to that school, you know. <laughs> and but to me it was culture shock, and I was I didn't understand um, you know being uh, prejudice. Uh, views of others. I, I never had really experienced that. I didn't understand why, you know, black was bad or anything. I just didn't understand it at all. But I, I learned about it, you know, more and more. I was totally embraced by many there, had really good friends at the new school. Um, and I continued, you know, my junior high was predominantly white Jewish and my high school was white Jewish. So that, that was my... <laughs> That's really wild, really. <laughs> that was my background. <laughs> mm. So, you know, that already made me a, a person that was capable of going beyond, let's say, going to a, just a black church 
are going mm-hmm. beyond doing mm-hmm. what I would see in the Black community. But yet, you know, being part of the Black church, mm-hmm. I was very much a part of it. And didn't like the hell and brimstone, but I did like the teachings of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 And by the way, uh, my par- I am Jewish, coming from Montreal, mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. parents sent me to... Uh, a, a Jewish school, but this was beyond. It was like a, f- a fundamental, you learn half your subjects in Hebrew half the day and That's in right. English the other half. That's right, I know. Okay, I didn't speak. I mean, it, w- uh, it was absolutely horrible. I blamed my father half of my life, you know, for yeah. this. But I was Jewish. It still, it didn't matter. Just the, yeah. the, the hell and brimstone in a, same thing, just different flavor. Yeah. Right. That's, you know, and right. which led me to look outside, which led me to the East. How, how did you get to the East? Yeah, I was just um, it, talking to someone that I, I started out um, in the uh, Nishran tradition, Soka Gakkai, Namu Horenge Kyo, the Lotus Sutra. Yeah. Very big, you know, in the 60s. Also, TM was very big, Transcendental Meditation. But I was 11 years old, actually, when I was first, what they call Shakabuku, which they introduced to practice to you. I was hanging out. I wasn't supposed to be hanging out. But I was hanging out in the the shopping mall waiting for my mother. I was supposed to be sitting in the car. I was hanging out, and they came by and started telling me about it. And I always count that as the first time I uh, encountered Buddhism and Buddha. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the hell it was. It just sounded so much better than church. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the music of church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, our church was always, was very musical. We didn't have instruments. We sung a cappella. Yeah. Very, very conservative. Mm. So, (laughs) and we were, I was in a group that was considered radical because we clapped, you know. So, oh, "Oh, you know, don't clap. Oh, Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, so there's all kinds of black churches. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah. that was it. And then I was again, it happened again in my 30s. But before then, I, I think in my 20s, I had started reading um, a lot of Chinese philosophy. Really? And I was oh. intrigued by it, you know. Mm. And I just mm-hmm. would go to these old bookstores and find these really old books. And I would read them, you know, read, uh, you know, all of these different uh, philosophies. And um, and then I, I came across Rousseau. I came across a lot of philosophers. And mm. so, but along with the Asian um, Eastern philosophy, I didn't think of that as something that would be a practice or something that I didn't, you know, didn't come to me as that. And so I just continued um you know, living my life the way I always had lived it until I came to Sokogakai, you know, Buddhism. And when I read uh, some of the teachings of Buddha in their books and in their version and in their view, I was like, finally, there's God. (laughs) That's a funny (laughs) thing to say. (laughs) There it is. Now, this is is the God that I, I thought should be you know, how God is not the one that's going to hurt you, but the one that's going to love judge you. you. Yeah. yeah, none of that. It had love, peace, harmony. None of that was coming out of the pulpit. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I fell in love with just reading the teachings. Mm-hmm. So it was a big, big uh, transition. I never was necessarily looking for Buddha or Buddhism. I just wasn't interested. I've heard people talk about it and but I didn't feel I needed it, you know. <clears throat> but when I got involved and started to engage it uh, with my life and not just my thinking mind, I was I was surprised how transformative it was. Mm, yeah. I was just amazed. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. But the now the super interesting thing when I mentioned the intersection of Zen and shamanic practice. Shamanism, the, give us that. Where did that come from, yeah. and how did that? Well, it wasn't up? planned. It's not planned. Mm, it's I'm just sure. my life. I mm. never cut off anything, mm. you know. So even with Christianity, I didn't cut it off. I went deeper into it, 
rather than going, oh, no, you know, ran away from the church. I didn't. I just I wanted to know more. And these gateways just kept opening. And I would walk into these gateways without knowing anything. And so that was a curiosity. And um, and just, I guess, a um, desire to learn, you know, and be taught. And so the, um, you know, the gateway of African um, practice came through me just eating at this restaurant I used to eat at. Just simply like simple things in life. And hanging out at this kind of Afrocentric center in Los Angeles where I'm born and raised. And just hanging out with these people, I ended up going to ceremonies. And um, I just went because it, it seemed, you know, interesting. You know, there would be music, there'll be food, but I didn't really understand that I was, you know, involving myself in ritual and ceremony, but I was. Mm. And the community, I left the community. Um, I wasn't in it very long. I was just kept getting invited and kept coming. And um, that they ended up going back to Dahomey. This is where they were from. And I found out they were all diviners from Dahomey. They ended up going back. What's the homie? The homie Benin, the homie. you know, uh, Africa. Oh. West Africa. They were from Dahomey. They were Dahomeans from West uh-huh. Africa, from Benin, Wida, those places. They went back. They were, they couldn't uh, assimilate into Los Angeles. Oh, and they went back. Yeah. So they wanted to take me with them. I was 18 or 19. They wanted mm-hmm. me. They had found a husband for me and yeah. everything. That come on, let's go. It's like, no, I'm a kid, you know, <laughs> and I have a parents, they would not go for this. And so it was very interesting to say no, then turn around. The next week they were gone. I never met them again. And that was the beginning and the end. I mean, not the end, but the beginning of opening to that. And it was very different than what I hear most um, people of African descent who have experienced African religions, very intentional. They're choosing, you know, particular uh, you know, houses to, to learn in, that did not happen to me at all. It was completely, um, you know, gestalt in that way, you know, just synchronistic. My life just synced in with it. And that was the same thing with, um, you know, Buddhism. It just happened. You know, I wasn't looking forward. Some friends wanted to go out to eat. I went with them. Seems like it always <laughs> involves food. Huh? Yeah. yeah. I went out. <laughs> Went out, so they wanted to go out to eat, and they said, we got to go over here first. And I was like, okay. So I went there, and of course, it spun out to a 15-year practice in Mm -hmm. uh, Nishan teaching and uh, leading and um, being very much a part of that tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, The Native uh, didn't come until um, actually at about the same time I entered Zen, and it came with... um, being uh, involved with a partner and and they were in in Native American practice and I was in Zen. So we, we both went to both things. Right. So that's how I got more involved in a, eventually. I wasn't necessarily feeling that either, just like I didn't feel Buddhism, but <laughs> it, I went to the ceremonies. And every time I went to the ceremonies, it was very powerful. Um, eventually, I became the head drummer, head singer. And was that wow. for six years? And I, I teach and sing Lakota songs, but I'm not Lakota. So mm-hmm. I don't do that in the public or tip with anybody else. It was for the sole purpose of uh, mm-hmm. supporting the community. And I did dance. I was a sun dancer for one year. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. So, so you so know. So unusual. Yeah. So I entered these gateways in the way of, uh, in the interest of well-being and transformation. Not only for myself, but for my family, my community, and for this world. I really believe that that's the path for all of us. Mm. And even though I was a social activist, I was a complete nationalist. I have a BA in Pan-African Studies, a complete activist. It just wasn't the way. It's just, it is important, but it's not the way for me. It wasn't the way to Mm. full liberation. And um, so... It was interesting in Zen to begin stripping that down, you know, and really looking at a more dynamic and evolutionary uh, way of being Black mm-hmm. and uh, and allowing it to become something more than I could ever imagine. And so it was very interesting. And just doing that along with this Native 
uh, tradition. Mm. And um, so everything I've been in has been about ritual and ceremony. Mm. Yeah, no, we'll get into that because uh, yeah. that's certainly, I, I, it was very obvious in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, when you teach, do you bring these two streams together in your teaching? No, I don't think it's appropriate. No. Mm-mm. No, and for for everyone's knowledge, each place I have been wasn't just a little bit of that and a little bit of that. You know, 17 years in the Native tradition, uh, 35 in Buddhism, and at least 15 in African tradition. Mm. So I'm not bopping around. I'm going deep into these practices. That means I'm very old. Okay, so <laughs> I spent all of these years doing this practice. It wasn't going, I think I'm going to go over here and chant and I'm going to go over here and and sing some native songs. So it just, it wasn't that way. And I don't bring them in so that each ceremony has its own um, power to transform me, its own opening, you know? Um, So it's in me, all of it's in my body. So it made it real easy for me to, to um, say, sit in Zen, especially my first, you know, big sitting with all the native songs going through my head, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it was very like, doo, doo, you know? yes. <laughs> I always, I always have something extra to me mm-hmm. when I do these practices. So when I was at the native ceremonies and everything is, is going, I had this very concentrated Zen to walk through with all the things that were going on there. And so each piece, each medicine comes up to at a time when it's needed, you mm-hmm. know? So when I'm in, Say I'm in a sweat lodge and I'm leading because I do lead sweat lodges. I did. I was, and I would pour. I would not do uh, Buddhist chanting unless somebody asked. And sometimes a couple of times it happened. Mm. But mostly I just sang. I sang the songs of the prayers of the people, you right. know, so that 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 sweat lodge would have that that uh, from the earth it would be rooted in front of the people in the place in the medicine. So I think that I never really mixed the medicine because I think it could be dangerous just like in real time we don't just mix medicine you know that we take into our bodies are you still doing native our community ceremony yeah yes in some way you know um, pandemic of course has stopped a lot of things and um, our chief became very ill and she's still very ill so um, Mm. we have no idea where that's going to go but it never goes anywhere you know I have I have uh Drums in my bedroom. I have African drums and native drums in mm. my house, and I have bells. You know, Zen mm. bells and mm. and Zen drums, and all of it's in my house. It's all because mm. it's all in me. Yeah, yeah. I'd be very attractive, uh, attracted to uh, to a blend. Actually, I mean, what you're mm-hmm. saying, you know, whatever. If mm-hmm. if a native song came to you and we were in a session or something, yeah. I would like wow. That would be like a, an amazing... I have, I have sung a Native song in the Zendo. Oh, you have? At a particular time. I have done that, but not during, like, say, when we're doing ceremony, we're doing, it was sort of the end of the practice period, and they asked people to offer what they wanted to mm-hmm. offer. And mm-hmm. I hadn't talked the entire practice period. You know, I was just being silent. And I just broke out in this song, um, and um, they were like, wow. Yeah, that... <laughs> you know, it just changed that, the Zendo. You know, that would have been and a powerful thing. Wow, so I've yeah. done it and I have chanted in the lodge. Uh-huh. And um, but I think this book is my first time really talking about the blend. I think the mm. blend is there, but it's not explicit. Yeah. 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 yeah I can. I mean, it's that. in my teachings. It has to be. That's why yeah. it feels different when I yeah. talk about Zen or mm. my experience of Zen so different. Mm. It's because there's the blend. There is a blend. Yeah. Uh, this. So the very first thing in the book uh, after the uh, intro, uh, I'm assuming it's it's in italics. I enter the Zendo without a sound. You wrote this, of course. Yes, I did. Uh, can I read this? This is sure. a hell of a way sure. to start a book off. Okay. I enter the Zendo without a sound. I sit in my designated chair. The cold of winter causes me to wrap my light wool robe tighter around my body. The bells are ringing and drums are playing. I bow when the head teacher passes. I smell the earth, mold instead of incense. 
The seeing begins when all is quiet and still, but my breath is not there. I can't breathe. I can no longer sit up. My body leans. My dying fear rises. I had not been feeling well. I don't look around. I am only with this dying, my heart out of rhythm. I hear the words, you are going to be fine. I feel myself being shepherded into death by those talking to me. I flinch and then notice a sudden joy that someone is speaking to me while I am dying. That there will be someone or something there to lovingly lead me to my death. It's pretty intense that you to open the book like this. I know. But you know what it, it did? It did for, I have been, I'm getting a little older myself here. And uh, it has brought me, uh, of course, practices. Most So we are a real blend too. And I, uh, when I say we, the Ramdas community, but basically we went back to India with Ramdas the second time, me and a couple of hundred Westerners. It was the whole deal over a three-year period. And we met Neem Karoli Baba, the man in the blanket who had gone beyond subject object. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we came out, somehow we all got versed in Vipassana meditation. So you know the Jack Cornfield and Sharon and all, all, our mm-hmm. friends. So that was a solid base alongside of the bhakti tradition, the yoga of devotion. And the blend of that is really what we've been doing. We did with Ramdas all these years in Maui until he died a couple of years ago, and what we continue to do. And uh, the the power of that blend. I am reminded of this. For me, power of this blend by the stories you've been telling about your life and your interest and and this deep, deep. Uh, Involvement with shamanism as well as indigenous people as well as uh, Zen. So uh, I, I find this highly attractive because it'll, it'll and may you say what you think oh, about it, but yeah. it allows people to not get as stuck in dogma, perhaps, by virtue of this other opening that maybe doesn't allow for that. Like for me, it's the bhakti part of the, the Buddhist because the mm. Buddhism is so crystal clear. Ramdas used to play around with people. Yeah, well, play around. He used to go because he was surrounded by his best friends were Buddhists, basically, right. you know, Jack right. and all. And he used to say, uh, you know, it's a big, big ass trap, you know, especially Tibetan Buddhism because they have such rarefied contextualization of of reality and it's easy to get caught in your mind and so on. So he would play with that. But I think the, the, the idea of the, the blend really, it, it, it transforms that, I believe. I think I agree with you. It allows for when they talk about boundless to really be boundless. Even yeah. walking that path, where they're yeah. having these borders, and then also I do, and then to still honor the root, you know, of whatever you're blending. So I have a book coming out in winter 2023 um, called "Opening to Darkness." When is this uh, coming out? This is just coming winter out. 2023. Winter. No, no, the shamanic bones. It was in. It's out. Oh, that that's... came out February eighth. This this year. Oh, it just came out. Just came out. Yeah. So, by the way. 8th. Everybody, there'll be a link so you can get uh, Zenju's book and and uh, and hooked up with her and her site and everything to see what's coming. But yeah, tell me more about this book. Yeah, so this came out um, in February, then in uh, winter, winter 2023, there'll be another book called um, Opening to Darkness. Hmm. And in that book, I feel like I actually, I talk about the blend here, but yeah. in that book, I make the blend. So oh. it it really has um, a lot of, I, uh, there's a, a use of um, Buddhism, specifically the Eightfold Path. And because I have these eight gateways in um, being with the absence of light in mm. unsettling times. How, uh-huh. do we do, how do we do that? And uh, I just happen to have this here. I don't know, it's probably not a good idea, but I'll show it because you can't see it really. I have this mandala. 
that I've created. I can see it. That's cool. Okay. And in the mandala, those are uh, Vudon uh, deities in the Haitian. Haitian uh, and Benin wow. tradition that really? I use as the dark mothers. And so I'm bringing the African, the Buddhism, and, you know, <laughs> all of it's in there oh, it's great. in this next book coming out. So it'll be interesting to see who that the community is that would be interested in that. Gravitate, yeah. Mm-hmm. And who is um, open to um, truly a boundless practice. Mm. That's great. Okay, yeah. can't wait for that. We'll have to yeah. get on and, and do another yeah. one of these things in the fall. Yeah. Um, so, but this, there is one interesting thing that I was wondering about. Um, I understand and in some ways experience the reality of, of this being that I met. I do expect that that being but not the man in the blanket with the personality the bigger whoever that is that we can't name whatever the thing is god is the general word that we use but it, it, the that will be there should i you know participate by doing the kind of work to allow myself to be open that that will be there and shepherd me through the bardos, whatever, you know, the liminal spaces. That's right. And but for me, it, it's 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 a it's I think easier. I understand the idea of a guru, of a guide, uh, the true one that is no longer caught in subject object. Uh, but in Zen, and here's now I know you'll laugh at this, but I can't help myself. Uh, Roshi Halifax, who you, I'm sure you know. Yeah, we know each other. Yeah. yeah. So she did, she's, was an old good friend of Ram Dass's and we met and, and of course spent time with him together in Maui and all that. And then one day, I did a podcast with her one day. Um, oh, I asked her, I've told this story a bunch of times. You've told the story a bunch of times. Well, I told this one a bunch okay. of times. I, because she spent so much time with Ram Dass, I said, well, what do you think about his guru? You know, Zen is not, you know, exactly, you know, that's not part of the tradition, gurus. And, uh, but you see his picture. What do you see? And she, she came back to me and said, when I look into his eyes, I see emptiness. And it was interesting because not long before she had done something with Ram Dass and where he, he was asked what it was like being around this being. And, and he just went off and he just was, he was so empty, empty. And then the the idea of that emptiness, of course, being it's not nihilistic. It is bliss and love, that emptiness, mm-hmm. right? So anyhow, I said something about, you know, being very fortunate to be in this kind of a, um, this tradition, bhakti tradition. And she said, well, you know, you have to, uh, eventually you'll have to let that go. It's just a practice, but you got to let it go in order to be fully into the 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 empty, the real, true emptiness, empty of self, and so on of the mini me. And I said, "Well, Roshi, that might be you know you you probably been here you know a, a lot more times than I have, and I'm just going to hang on for dear life because." We're just not great meditators us over here on this side. She laughed. She loved that. But there is, uh, yeah, what, what is your feedback think, around, around yeah. that concept? Right. I feel that um, we, we actually, we think we're in charge. So we think we're <laughs> deciding these gateways, right, that we're coming yeah, from. Yeah. And then we think uh, we can hold on to it, but it will shake you loose when it's time, when it's time. It'll shake yeah. you loose. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. Is it time? Should I go? Should I do this? When you see the bliss, emptiness in the eyes of a being, of embodied being, what you're seeing, what I think why we get attracted to it and brought into it and pulled by it is because it is ourselves. And so we begin to make the true interconnection, the true interrelationship. And that's what empty is. It's mm. the true interrelationship. Mm, and, and, and that's what we see. 
in the mm-hmm. eyes of these many, many powerful, you know, teachers and prophets and sages that have walked. Yeah. And so our work here as living beings is not so much, let's all get together and get along. That's a good, it's still good. But when we really feel, someone will reflect that bliss back to us in a mirror, you know, mm-hmm. and through them, like, like, and they may be embodied in any kind of way. Yeah, in and any kind of way. Maybe a monkey, you yeah. know, so, right? <laughs> well, yes. I know about the monkey. You know, know. about the monkey? Yes, yes I do. Oh. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it. So, uh, anyway, I, you know, it doesn't really, it's that we, it could be a tree, mm. you know, in which you make a connection. It could be a Lakota song. It mm. could be a dance. It could be... In something that happens in your sleep, like it did with the Buddha, he mm. had those four dreams in Kapow. He had this, all of this. He got, he just had gained an interrelationship between that forest and himself, mm. you know, and mm. um, became in his interconnection, understood the emptiness mm. of of himself, yeah, and of yeah. everybody, you know. So, but it's very much something that has to be experienced and not thought out and something that we want to do. We can't always tell my students, show me, show me being empty. (laughs) They kind of look at me like, (laughs) never mind. Yeah, right. Um, I'm just saying it so that to to allow it to um, be an experience if we're ever so fortunate. Yeah. To be in pure interrelationship with everything and everyone. Well, the first thing you said, we seem to think that we are in control yeah. of things, yeah. and uh, and that is a you know a primary primary. Uh, our grasping is is uh, the uh, you know who Joseph Goldstein is mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. too yeah so Joseph mm-hmm. was asked by he came to do a retreat with us and and somebody asked him if you can give me a couple, a young person, a couple of words of advice, come on, you've been doing this forever. You know, you're like the mindfulness uh, master. Just two words. He went, stop grasping. That's about it, you know. And it's very tough for us to, to, to execute that, which is why we need, and this brings me into uh, another well, let me let me talk about this first, because or have you talk about you know? Because about Soto, uh, you say it's not considered a shamanic practice by many. It's not generally taught as one, but if you consider the indigenous beginnings of all com- cu- cultures, it becomes clear that there are underlying esoteric, mystical, or shamanic histories to all spiritualities and religions. Yeah, this is an important point. I mean, you even go further in the book by saying you feel like it's not as whole as it really is mm-hmm. because of this cutoff point, because of the fear of Westerners getting involved in way more grasping shows. <laughs> yeah. All right, not, you know, confusion. And so our transmission, you know, is uh, probably limited for very many reasons. I could, you know, I tried to explore it in my own mind. But, you know, and then I talked to many teachers, you know, in, in writing this book, many Zen teachers. Yeah. So I did, this is not done in isolation. Um, I didn't sit down and go, let me just whip out this book about Zen <laughs> without talking to anybody. <laughs> uh, and all of them, every single one of them um, were so supportive of the book and the way I was talking about Zen. Oh, yeah. As shamanic, I was very surprised and mm. wondered what was holding them back from presenting the practice in the way that I was talking about it in a way that many experience it. And I know some of that is, you know, my teacher, uh, the late Zenke Blanche Hardman, said she was one of those that wanted, you know, no frills, no toys, no, you know, extra stuff, you know. And and I know that that's some of, of why it's not talked about so people don't get caught up in let me try to get, you know, even though people do it anyway. I want Kensho. Yeah. I want Satori. You yeah, know, yeah. They, they're going to do it anyway. I mean, we're just human beings. And so, so we all will strive. Just, wrote me recently and said, I've never had a Kensho or Satori or, or breakthrough like you had. Because I was talking about the oracle that happened in, in my lucid dreaming. You know, seven years after 
practicing Buddhism and how it just opened up this, because that's what it's supposed to do, is to bring us back to the vastness so that we can have that bliss interrelationship mm-hmm. with everything. So mm-hmm. everything just gets very vast and we can, and we want to grab because it's like, whoa, was, this is too wide. But, you know, it was in, important to 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 do the practices and the ceremony so that we we enter, you know, in this way um, to the practice and not have, and I told her, I said, you have had a kind of Satori or Kensho in your life because I'm sure somebody has died that you know. Somebody has died, even somebody being born. Not even, it's just yeah. the same, my experience. Yeah, right. So yeah, how powerful that is. So we all have some kind of of experience that kind of just blows us open, you know, yep. and maybe yeah, just ineffable. our own, yeah, our, yeah, maybe our own being born blew us open. You know, we just remember. You, you know, know who was with me? What, what was major thing? John Coltrane. Yeah. All right. All In right. a live performance. Yeah. A, a first mm. real experience, 15 years mm. old real experience of leaving. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really I, fortunate. Yep. And I heard that that, you know, for many people, for John Coltrane. Yeah, many not, people. Yeah, yeah many this is not an uncommon thing. Had this no. experience with him and, yeah. and saying with his um, his wife, you know. Alice, that, yeah. Yeah, Alice, they have many experiences yep. with them. You yep. know, so I, I believe, I think it would make us more in the discovery mode and less in the grasping mode if we took on these spiritual practices out of the kind of modality toolkit. Mm. And and brought them over to the ritual and ceremony because there's nothing to be gained other than engaging the ceremony. Yeah, but wait a minute. We're yeah. we're we need we're gonna be successful. We're we <laughs> live in the West. You gotta right. give us the toolkit to be successful. And has it helped? Look at her fighting. <laughs> Look at her fighting. Yeah, yeah so. it has it helped because it's in the mind, you know. And I always mm. tell my students, I said, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna do any more Dharma talks. They get upset, you know, because I said the talks are not the practice. Mm. I'm just talking. We're just engaging. But mm. we could, we, if you, we walked, you know, a thousand miles somewhere as a pilgrimage and then talked, it'd be a whole different experience. Mm. But we're not. We're Big just yakking. Yeah. Next week, a yak again. Next week, and you're just filling up your little toolbox. Then when everything falls apart, the first person you call is the person you got all the tools from because you don't know what's in your toolbox. <laughs> you don't know how to use it. Yeah. You know? So it just, yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're to understand this life. You know, look what's happening, you know, right now. All the time, look what's happening. It's always something and it always will be. And there always has been. Mm. Long as there's been it's a little bit more radical right now in this moment. So well, the, somebody who was in a tribe in Africa, the Zulu f- killing off their people, might feel yeah. like that. It's the same. Yeah. You know, it's old. It's yeah. ancient. It's as ancient yeah. as human life. Yeah. You know, um, and right. so and animals do it. Look, you know, animals mm. who aren't us do it, not just humans. You know, so it's it's funny. You're just prompting me because my partner (laughs) for my birthday got a beautiful birdhouse that's Uh on a tree that's literally ten feet from me. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that wonderful? Look at all the beautiful birds, and and they're fighting. They're not allowing one another to eat, and they're (laughs) and they're bossy, and they're and and the Mm -hmm. bigger ones, boy, they don't. They just take it all over. It's like a macro microcosm of, of the. Uh, yeah, there's no end to it, Zenju. You know, because those that's our mud. Yeah. Every living yep. being has mud. Plant yep. or human. And <laughs> we yep. got our mud. Yep. And the mud is is whether we're gonna sink in it and, and, and smother, or we're gonna use the nutrients of the mud in order to create the lotus flowers we want. Huh. Yeah. They talk about it all the time. Yep. I didn't dream that up. <laughs> that's Buddha's teachings you know? Buddha yeah. um, one other thing here not one other but another um, you talk about the shaman is guided by the forms of this world nature all forms including ourselves are of nature from nature the forest the hawk and the, I have the tree right next to where I live it's a huge tall incredible tree oh. that hawks roost in and mm. so um, Always having nice. them around is just nice. incredible. 
uh, may be the messenger of wisdom for the shaman. Therefore, the shaman develops a relationship with nature. This is the this struck me in terms of people say, well, I read this book and start to have an understanding of Zen and understanding of shamanism and there's practice, you know, whatever there's, but to actually engage in what you're speaking of here with nature uh-huh. um, and, and how you talk, this, this to me is very important. So the shaman develops a relationship with nature with all forms, including other human beings. Form is the conduit, the connection to wisdom. In Zen, there are many forms through which we come to know the spirit of all things of life. The spirit of these forms goes beyond Zendos and Buddha halls. You sound like Kabir uh, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> perhaps the forms become dreams and visions for the world. And by the way, everybody, uh, Zenju is also a poet because when you, uh, as I read some of these passages, you you have that poetic flourishing thing that's fantastic. Thank you. I also have a book that came out right before this one, came out in December 2020, called The Deepest Peace, and it's full of my poetry. Oh, really? Okay. Every, yeah. uh, okay. Parallax Press um, put it out, Parallax Press. Oh, wonderful. So mm-hmm. uh, you guys are doing the show notes and everything else. Make sure that we get linked up to the uh, Zenju's books, okay? So everybody, yeah, that you'll go to the uh, website and it'll be there. Yeah, um, I love that book. Yeah, I enjoy writing a poetry. Yeah, oh, that's so great. Can you tell the story of um, when you were at a table with your teacher and said that voodoo and Zen were the same? I, I yeah. Come on. <laughs> okay, that that's a good story. So I had invited some friends to come to a Dharma talk. Uh, one Saturday at San Francisco Zen Center, and mm. uh, we were all sitting around the table across the street. It was a breakfast, you know, place. It had been many place things over the history of uh, Zen Center because they they owned that building. So, but it was a breakfast place at the time, and I and the friends were sitting and talking. And then one of my friends said something I kind of told her in private. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, and uh, Blanche was eating with us because she just loved going. She loved meeting new people. She just loved it. And so we were sitting there. She says, yeah, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how um, you said voodoo and Zen are the same? I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I looked over at my teacher. Like, oh, no. And, you know, she always had this one eyebrow up. You know, she did that quite often. And um, and I just I still stayed in my very uh, powerful knowing of that. You know, even mm-hmm. though I knew it probably was like, okay, she's going to have a talk with me later. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I I started talking about um, the some of the basis and foundation of, of the practice of Udon, which through form and ceremony is to discover oneself, one's true self. You know, so some of the same things. And um, I'm not ordained in that in, in Vudan. I'm not a, a, a practitioner either, but I am. I feel a connection to it and know it as something um, through um, experiences that lets me know. And I think, you know, I, I had dreams, I've had visions. My parents being from Louisiana and a lot of people from Haiti did migrate to Louisiana. And mm-hmm. some of the things my mother did was definitely of that nature. You know, some of her little secret things she did to protect herself and protect her kids. And, Mm. you know, and I would be wondering what she was doing to me, you know, with my head, you know, leave my head alone, you know. If I tell her something's wrong, you know, where I got crosses and spit put on me and, you know. Oh, wow. (laughs) So things were happening, right, in the house. So I feel like uh, I thought I might go into that practice, into that tradition deeply because of the visions and, and dreams, but I didn't. But when I got to Zen, I realized I had gotten there. <laughs> and it just wasn't called Vudan. It was called Zen. Mm-hmm. And so I could see that um, doing the rituals and, and moving through the mukha life, the suffering, and that is, is pretty much the same as um, probably most practices, but also I could see it was close to that. Um, I didn't go further, talk a lot about it at breakfast because I didn't want to really um, 
dwell on it. It was a new idea. I'd never voiced it other than to this friend in secret at some point in time. I didn't even know I told her that. You know, I said, oh, God, send you yours. Got your mouth open. And so, <laughs> so the next day, the next the next day was Sunday. So that was Saturday. The next morning, I open up my email and there's an email from a mambo priestess, like head, head priestess in Haiti wanting to meet me. And she's conversing through a Zen priest who's here, who's in America. Oh, right shit. in that email, Zen Budo. Zen wow. Budo. And oh. I did talk to this. I still, I actually, I just talked to her last week, the Mambo. And um, she's quite amazing. And uh, my friend who, who uh, she, she practices both, um, but mostly she's a Zen priest. She's not really a Budan priest, priestess either. But um, she, she found Haiti through dreams. She thought she was dreaming of Africa. And she went to Africa, West Africa. And um, she's, she's a woman. She's a white woman, not a black woman. She thought it was Africa. So she went to Africa. And then she started describing the streets and stuff. And they said, oh, no, this, that's not here. That's Haiti. And she went to Haiti and she found those streets. Wow. It's a very powerful story she has. And so we connect. We were meant to connect. Once I was able to articulate it and open to it, even though I was afraid of, you know, being condemned, <laughs> so, <laughs> banned, censored, whatever, <laughs> it happened. And it was just an amazing story. And I'm still in connection with mm. that Zen priest and that mambo. Wow. We're still that friends. All, all of us. Yeah. Incredible. I call, so I call her my sister, my mm. Zen teacher, that my, the Zen priest that introduced me to the mambo who had read something I had written. Oh. I, had, I had written about the um, second noble truth and systemic oppression. Mm. And she yeah. was like curious as to who I was yeah. and how I got to what I, how I was writing that. How did I get to write something mm. like that? Right. So mm. that was... That's an amazing story, really. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, we don't have too much time left. And yeah. a couple, I do want to get in just some of what, uh, you've been talking about offerings to an ancestors, and that's a hard thing for many Westerners to to get. And I actually um, got a thorough, a, a more thorough isn't the right word, a better understanding through a um, a shaman from South Africa, a wonderful man. And uh, so I got a little bit along the path. And the other way I got it was my family in India, all those years that I'd been going back and forth there. And uh, and that, it's called Shraddha there. And Shraddha. it's, yeah, and it's a, a very important right. bi-yearly, I think it happens more than once a year, uh, event. Yeah. And then you said one thing, thank you, and that is making offerings is an act of spirit through our bodies. We are not doing something. We are being led to an alignment with the unseen, suchness, the unexpressible, and the unsurpassable. I love that, Zenzu. <laughs> yeah. Really. But talk about making an offering as an so, act of spirit and it's connecting. Always, yeah. It's always so interesting when people can't connect to that. You know, and um, they're always talking about Jesus Christ. I don't yeah. see him anywhere around here. He must be an ancestor. <laughs> mm. We're always talking about Buddha. He's not hanging out. He's an ancestor. So we aren't here. You know, we're also acknowledging our, you know, which I love the way Thich Nhat Hanh talks, their community talks about continuation. We're a continuation. Of the beginning, the beginning, the beginning, beginning. So, like I see your, I see your great, 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 great grandfather in you, and you see my great, great, great grandfather and grandmother in me. You mm -hmm. can, we can actually see them right now in this moment because we're just a continuation, and because of of the the actions that have been taken along the way, has allowed us to meet in this moment. Can you imagine what that takes for you and I to meet now? together in this moment. It's not just us. It's not my book. It's not your podcast. It's so far beyond it. Yeah. 
that we would come together and be in the space in the way that we are right now, yeah. even though it's Zoom. <laughs> so I think it's really, like really important for people to understand. It's also ancestors aren't always people. And I've been talking about this. It's everything. Everything that was here before we came, the trees, the stars, the moon, the sun, the earth, and everything. And so, um, you know, I always tell people when you came, you didn't have to bring your water with you and your medicine and, you, you know, you didn't bring anything. Nobody brought anything. That's why we're nervous about, you know, climate change. Oh, no, we didn't bring anything to the party. We just came. And so that's that can make us a little nervous when we like, oh shoot, I didn't I didn't really, you know, how we're gonna do this when it's not ours. Hmm. You know, we, we'll think of some ideas, you know, we'll have we'll be able to have some strategies, but in you know, the end is recognizing and uh, is the earth your ancestor? Yes. And hmm. it's hmm. such a, a wonderful one to continue to sustain us given how we treat it. Will always sustain us. Oh, wow, a mm. beloved, a, bene- a benevolent earth, yeah. giving, 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 giving. Yeah, yeah, would be a, a good example that we could perhaps all try and embody in our lives, wouldn't it? That that alone, we that's it. We try, and I think we ha- all have. We know, we know, um, but because of the changes in how we live and, you know, um, losing connection, we, f- we forget, you know, we forget. And so, um, yeah, I'm very concerned about, I've always been, <laughs> even as a child, about how um, the human being is going to come back to themselves, come mm-hmm. back to that, you know, I think I've always been, you know, I tell people I was born a nun or born a monk or something, uh, I thought I was going to be a Christian minister, but my church didn't allow women ministers. So I knew that wasn't, it wasn't going to happen there. I got that at about 12, 13. I said, mm. oh, this, it's not going to happen here. Mm. And I didn't know what it was I needed to say, but it was something that I saw, you know, since I was really little. I think probably from that death we started with. Something about that death, mm. you know, and um, and then what is life in you know, how can we be here together and engage knowing we won't be here long together. We're just here now, you know, to to do this work of not necessarily correcting governments and systems, although that's work that we have to do, you know, but but beyond that, even our own activism to me has grown stale. I'm very nervous about it. Hmm. Well, I'm very nervous about our practices that have gone stale yeah. as well. Gone stale. Yeah. That's you a know. whole other podcast or two. <laughs> a whole other podcast or two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the and the the end of the book it probably I've been focusing focusing on it a little bit more in my day to day life around gratitude, which is uh, kind of ends the book, and and, and I can't suggest to everybody the wake up in the morning and start looking at that because it's easy to get into a nihilistic frame of mind or perspective especially these days because we don't know what to do with all this stuff hmm. we don't know that it's feeding us because it hurts it's strong medicine that's what the natives would call this strong this is strong medicine and we it doesn't taste good and it could kill you if you're not ready for it. But we're to look through the Ukraine upset, not look at it and go pick a side. That's where we usually stop. What is really happening and how can we use what is happening? It, it's not going to be an overnight thought. It's going to be living through it, seeing it, knowing, hearing, really listening. And really talking about it in a way that's different than what the media is talking about it. Or your friend, even your friends, you know, because then that's how we get in fights with our friend. Okay, you're no longer my Facebook friend or whatever you know, people do. So really what use, because tomorrow will be someplace else. Ten years from now, it'll be something else. For sure. 
there will always be something. There's never been a time in human evolution where there was nothing. So what is it that, why is it that it's here? I think there also, though, is there are individuals who are who profoundly represent the least that we humans can be, and that profundity, uh, when it spills over into the kind of, uh, and this is happening right now, and next right. month it'll be something. But it, to me, it doesn't matter because we are. The reflection, the reflection who was our previous uh, leader, uh, very similar. I mean, in my estimation, this, you know, it's not a matter of political parties or what policies. It's a matter of, as His Holiness says, my only religion is kindness. And when we see the opposite of that, and then we have to reflect because we all represent making that person happen. Uh, through our collective karma and so on. But, in, in you know, this is, as you said, very, very tough, as they said, tough medicine. Hmm? And then when we had our former president, I looked at it and I said, oh, shit, we forgot about them. <laughs> we forgot to bring them to the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, of course. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah. course. This makes makes so much sense. And it's going to be more and more and more and more and more and more and more. I mean, there's even infighting in in liberal movements. Oh, I mean, now, it's, it's yeah, everywhere. About it. Yeah, no, no, yeah. it's all. I mean, yeah. infighting. How about you know you? Did you get vaccinated? Oh, you didn't. Right. Oh, that, you did. Yeah. See, oh. there we go. That, you know. That. You know? So it's yeah. You know, it's a, and what the, and fighting about that? You yeah. know what people should do. Yeah, the polarization is just extraordinary, and it does, uh, I mean, that's, for me, these kinds of conversations, Zenju, and the offering you made in this book and other ones that you're doing, that is what we need to share, and we need to have uh, the kind of openness and, as you mentioned earlier, boundlessness, Mm -hmm. so that we can, we're human, and we have to recognize that, but we can, Ram Dass's whole thing was square your heart away. And then radiate that. That is social action. And he did, you know, physical social action in big ways, curing blindness in the world and all kinds of stuff. But coming from that heart. Yeah. Coming from that. That's what I was telling some of my um, friends who suffer so much in the work. I said, You're coming from your woundedness and your analysis, which is good. You have a good analysis, you know, but you're a critique, but you're coming from, you're, 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 you can't get beyond it. And so I feel it's your critique. Yeah. You know? And so, um, I mean, because I, I, like I said, a strong activist. I was a nationalist. You know, yeah. I was, I was going to join the Black Panthers. But my mother's like, no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, I was young. I was too young to join the Panthers. But, you know. Yeah. I, oh, uh, boy. Was, I was there. Hmm. So great to have you here and meet yeah. you, Senju. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. And we're going to see you again in the fall because I want to okay. talk about this new book that you're finishing or maybe finish. Okay. Is it finished? Well, this one that's coming, it's coming out in winter 20, 2023. Oh, next winter. Oh, okay, next well, year. we'll see you next year. So well, ne- no, next we, year, yeah. No, no we'll so, see So, yeah, before. so I do have a novel coming out in the fall. Oh, really? Oh, you yeah. are real busy. Wow. Well, the novel's been there forever. Everybody who knows me is decade, decade. And I keep putting it away, bringing that, put it away, bring it away. So I decided to put it out. All right. And then, um, but this book, I'm very interested in Mm. this coming out in winter 2023 to actually bring some um, actual engagement and development of our intuition Mm. and use of the things that are going on, the darkness in our lives, Mm. actually engaging it. Not just talking about it. Well, we're doing something based. Ramdas mm-hmm. used to talk about intuition and trust a lot, and we're mm-hmm. doing something bringing all of that together with different voices. So, I'm probably going to get in touch with you. About that, that sounds really good. That yeah. sounds very good. Yeah, yeah that's where uh, I'm at. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Of course, you'll get linked up to Zenju's books and her website, and being able to know what she's doing and where she is potentially, hopefully now 
we can get together physically a little bit more. And um, this is mind-rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash mind-rolling and you'll be able to hook up with everything that uh, Zenju's been doing. And we will see you next week.